The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Here we go! When can we pull the crackers? After dinner. What about the paper hats? And the daft jokes. And them little plastic toys. Right, Daniel, are you going to carve? Hey. It's tradition for the man of the house to carve the bird. Oh, well, then, you do it. It's vegetarian. You can't make him cut up a living thing. It's not living. It's dead already. Well, at least I hope it is. I thought you'd want to do it. Oh, all right, whatever. I'll do the bird. What's the verdict on the crackers? Oh, if you want to pull your cracker, just pull your cracker. Hey, nice one. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that wishes that people wouldn't just leave full bottles of vodka lying around and then never remark that someone stole their full bottle of vodka. I'm Gavin. Ugh, and I'm still greeting. <sighs> I finished watching this week's episodes about an hour ago. Hard lines. You finished, what, nine minutes ago? About 15 minutes ago, yeah. Oh. No, it's tough going. What a week. Yeah. And <laughs> we didn't exactly have a very easy week in real life either <laughs> to been, begin with. It's been kind of tough. Oh, I have a child with a mysterious rash. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking to Randy today, her kid's exactly the same. It comes and it goes. Where it looked like it was clearing up and then mm-hmm. it came back? Yep. Did she tell the school? No. She was, uh, when I told her that you told the school, and Uh the school was surprised, she was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know if she saw much point in telling the school. Well, it's quite possible that it's something in the school that's giving sixth grade girls rashes. Right. So. And it's a virus. Yeah. In order to confirm that and do something about the virus, you know, I don't know, clean the bathroom in that pod really, really well over the weekend. Or something. Just just floating it out there. Yeah, maybe. Or if this is going to be an epidemic, you know, it's important to know these sorts of things. Not that we're blowing this up out of any proportion at all. And she's not, not, not that she Dustin a... Hoffman and a monkey are going to get involved in this. <laughs> right. She's not sick. She just... Spotty. She has a spotty back. She has a spotty everything. Front, back, sides, feet... Hands, limbs, head, neek. Neek? The whole, the, whole, the, whole, the whole nine yards. Her whole Puerto Rican body. Just covered in... Yeah, so rubbish. we had to quit doing our Spongebob this week, which is a shame. That's the first one that we've missed since... I know. Since you came back from the summer. That's a wee shame. Oh, this week's wasn't great. Yeah, it's the F... F-U-N one. U-N one. Didn't enjoy yeah. it. Didn't enjoy it you, at all. You don't like the F-U-N song? Nope. You is for you I don't like Plankton me. as a character. That just annoys me. Anyway, that's not why we're 
why we're here. Really? After, after no, that really isn't why we're here. <laughs> after Squidward, Plankton is the, the character I see the most in you. No, he's a dick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a fanny, so there you go. <laughs> How's your week been otherwise? It sucked. Yeah. Because I've been kind of just fighting a cold and everything, and there's other stuff going on medical-wise within the family, and... I've had so much that I needed to do this week and I haven't done any of it. No. I took two days off this week to care for the sick child and I was like, oh, well, I'll be able to catch up on all the stuff that I need to get done this week on one of those days and that didn't happen. And so now I'm exhausted and I'm also guilt-ridden. Exhausted and haven't done those things. Guilt-ridden, yeah, because I haven't done those things and just... Not that the world will end if I don't get them done this week, but it's just the way I am. How was your week? Yeah, it kind of sucked as well. <laughs> I've been kind of carrying a cold from since I got back from Florida. Yeah, but you gave it to me, you dick. That if, no, because it hasn't, it hasn't amounted to anything, <laughs> you fucking fanny. So I still feel like it's, it's, it's waiting to hit me, and it hasn't really hit me properly yet. We really do love one another. <laughs> At this moment... Yes. I could go either way. Oi! <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah, it's been a rotten week and yeah. the kid has missed Main Street Trick or Treat, Teen Center Halloween Party, a sleepover tonight, a sleepover tomorrow night, an edgy skating party. She's she's keeping a good stiff upper lip about it, but still. Yeah, she doesn't seem not bothered about any of those things. She's complained a couple of times to me, but she's not the type of kid that's going to wear her heart on her sleeve, mm. as you know. Anyway, I'm sure this is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Corey News. Victoria Ekonoye. I have no <laughs> doubt that you had not done Corey News. I'm absolutely astounded that you have. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, typically you write it in the five minutes before we start doing this, and you didn't do that this week. Right. So I thought there's well, no way in the world you would I, I did, but you didn't see me do it, because ah. I was upstairs. Can I get on with Corey News now? Oh, please do. <laughs> Are you going to interrupt again? I don't know. <laughs> depends on depends on what you say. Ah, oh, Fanny. Victoria Ekonoye made her debut on Celebrity X Factor this week with a gorgeous rendition of House of the Rising Sun. She was incredible. That, that was, was fantastic. fantastic. Yep. So I wasn't sure if that was that was that an audition? I kinda of got the impression that it was. That yeah. it was an audition and the main show starts on Saturday, I right. think. I don't really get the point of celebrity X Factor, because these people are already celebrities. They're already famous. Why do they need to go? Because, you know, shows like the X Factor and whatever country you live in has got talent sort of shows. It's so people can attain fame for whatever it is they're good at. Right, but people like watching celebrities. I mean, 
Strictly Come Dancing doesn't need to right. occur because these people are famous anyway, so what does right. it matter if yeah, they can dance but or it's not? Because it's fun to watch them goof up and not dance very well. Yeah, so it's fun, it's fun to watch them sing and not be all that good. As I would imagine that Louis fucking Walsh is going to letting some dingbats into this that, that can't sing a note because that's what he does. But one of those dingbats is not going to be Victoria because she was fantastic, incredible. Yep. Yes. What a voice. Very good. Effortless as well. Absolutely. I knew her talent was wasted on Corey. Mm-hmm. Cervical cancer screenings have been on the rise in the UK as a result of Sinead's storyline. The show has been working closely with Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust to help raise awareness. So cervical cancer screenings are on the rise in the UK. Which can only be a good thing. Right, yes. And Corey's taking all the credit. That's one time. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's, it's always a good thing. And I think I've I've said that multiple times on the show already, so I'm not going to say it again. Lucy Fallon recently discussed her own departure from the show, saying she hopes that they leave it open-ended for a possible return for Bethany, who she's been playing since 2015. As she's nervous, she won't be able to find work elsewhere. She's hoping to continue doing dramas. Now, do you remember who played Bethany Platt before Lucy? No. It was Mia Cookson and then twins, Emily and Amy Walton. Well, that would be when she was a wee baby, though. Well, no, Mia was the baby. Oh, really? It's typically and then Emily the, and Amy took when over. The, the baby, they have the twins, because it's... Right. They yeah, can't like, have them on the set for any more than a few hours at a time. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. They were Bethany? No, but they were famous twins who played a, a character on a TV show. Oh. Family Matters. You know, that show that the kids were really obsessed with for like two years straight. We still get notifications on the TV that Family Matters is starting. Or not Family Matters. Full House. Why did I say Family Matters? That's Steve Urkel. What is wrong with my brain? Um, I have little to no idea what we're talking about at the moment. But I'll just nod and say that's great. Okay. Yes. Full House. Full House was a show that the kids were obsessed with because of the whole Netflix show. Fuller House. And that's Corey News. A, a, a quick little thing to add to Corey News. Catherine, what did you call her? Catherine Tilsdale? <laughs> Catherine Tilsley. She made it safely through to week six of Strictly Come Dancing. Yay. She was in the bottom half after the judges' vote, quite unfairly, I thought, but survived the public vote, and so she will be continuing. I don't imagine that she'll be contending for for the championship here. She might get it to the Blackpool week. There's still quite a few people in it that are really, really bad at dancing. She's not really, really bad at dancing, but there's just some people that are do you really watch, pretty good Do you watch it. the American one at all? No, because I don't know who anyone is. Well, you know who um, Sean Spicer is. Oh, my, Melissa McCarthy, yeah. <laughs> is he in this one? Yes. I don't even know when it's on. I never watch American TV. You really don't. You sit here in the office, away away from everyone else, and stare loggingly at the Mac and and British television. Just BBC iPlayer. I can't get ITV. I can't get ITV player to work. They got the Brit box. That doesn't have everything on it though, or yeah. anything close to it. it. Doesn't have X Factor on it. I don't like watching X Factor anyway. 
No. Let's watch the catch-up or just read what somebody else thinks about it. Right. Okay, that's Corey News. Our mailbag. Chris sent us his latest bulletin from Latin slash Central America. Number two. You've just mentioned the street's holy trinity of slightly rubbish dogs, he says. Peanut, Rover and Eccles. And it put me in mind of a very early episode of your show in which, for reasons long since lost to me in the mists of time, one or other or both of you imagined a scene in which Peanut took a ride on Eccles, who was herself (laughs) travelling on Cerberus' back. All of them shrouded in a big coat in an unconvincing (laughs) attempt to impersonate a human. This was you that said that. What was that all about, he asks. Anyway, I wasted the best part of a day fumbling around inexpertly with Photoshop, trying to create an an approximation of that scenario with some stock images of greyhounds, scruffy mongrels and Jack Russells and oversized menswear. Alas, my ineptitude with computers meant that I somehow managed to erase all my ham-fisted efforts with the finishing line in sight. Gutted, he says. That's a shame. On the subject of shit dogs... On the subject of shit dogs, I was in Chihuahua yesterday... But I didn't see a single one. <laughs> That's because he was inside of one. <laughs> it's like that. That uh, it's like a uh, that opening scene in Empire Starts, but strikes back when Han Solo shoves Luke Skywalker into a into his deceased Tauntaun. What? <laughs> Don't you remember when they're on that that ice planet? Yes. And. Han Solo. I don't remember Han Solo doing anything. Han Solo slices the Tauntaun open. No, I thought Luke did that. No, Luke is the one who's passed out and nearly dead. So he he couldn't slice it open because Han Solo has to save anyway, him. Hindsight corner. There's nothing in hindsight going on. Oh, but wait a second. There was something that we were speculating on last week, and I can't remember for the life of me what it no, was. Oh, we're allowed to speculate. That's fine. We're supposed to... There's things that we get wrong. You can't get it wrong if you're speculating. Right, but we're like, we're not sure what this is. So next week, we'll probably talk about it on... No, I don't think so. I don't think that happened. You sure? Mm-hmm. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our penultimate storyline tonight. Oh, that's right, because we really... There's only two storylines. Really? Mm-hmm. You, you... Yeah, okay. Yeah, that works. So, penultimate storyline tonight <laughs> is Abe predicts a riot. What? Abe predicts a riot. Is that kid's name Abe? The The creepy one? Yeah. Yes. His name's Abe. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like an Abe. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't at all. He's, he's too short and he doesn't have a stovepipe hat. On Monday, at number eight, Sarah tells Jonah that she's spoken to Adam to arrange a preliminary, a preliminary meeting with Marion. No Marion bitch is going to take my son, says Sarah, and Shona recommends that everyone just stays calm. And then Max comes home, apparently in a good mood. And in jail, David looks like he's giving serious consideration to killing Josh. Back home, Shona tells Max that it's his home and he didn't need to ring the doorbell earlier because he rang the doorbell before he came in. And she apologises for everything that happened the other day. She tells him that David is worried about him and they want him to come home. David will be getting home on November the 3rd and their wedding is planned for November the 7th. Max goes off and says that he'll come back later. Mm -hmm. So Shona is once again... Tempting fate a little bit. 
wee bit. Abe, the creepy guy, tells David that the riot is planned for one fifteen. I love how we say, I, I love how the creepy guy is it's just part of his name now. Yeah, I'm going to call him Abe now. Okay. So the riots planned for one fifteen, and David, like me, thought prison riots were something that were far more spontaneous. And Abe loudly talks about taking out CCTV cameras and then giving that pair of what's due to him. But, you know, like like I said when you said you were surprised that these things get scheduled, you know, he said, oh, it'll be during lunch, so everybody will be out of their cells and we'll have time to do this and this and this and this. Yeah, like like I kind of said, you know, there are things you kind of have to do ahead of time. So it's, it's good to plan it. Yeah. Like to yeah, bake you off. Can't, you can't do spur of the moment. Much like a meringue. <laughs> you can't do a prison riot. Is that a cake or a meringue? <laughs> nope, you're right enough, it's a cake. Shona is on the phone to David to tell him about the positive Thank meeting you, Mary, with Max. Mary. He seems a bit distracted, but he insists that he's just keeping his head down. And Shona insists that everything's going to be okay. And later, Abe slips David a pair of scissors so that he can get justice by killing Josh. Oh, then <sighs> it turns out that Adam, pillar of the solicitor community, has arranged a meeting with Marion and her solicitor, along with Sarah and Shona, at the Rover. Yeah, classy. As Marion points out. This in a pub. Yeah, yeah, after the whole thing is is that Marion thinks that Shona and, and Sarah are these wanton drunkards who right. are neglecting children to go get drunk. Yeah, well done, Adam. Mm. Well done. Let's do this in a pub. Yeah, dick. When everyone's drunk. Yeah, let's dick. Do, let's do it then. Marion's hilarious. I'm actually kind of on the, on the uh, side of Marion a lot of the... What the way through this? In a pub, she whispers to her solicitor. She doesn't seem keen to debate the ins and outs, and she thinks the kids will be safe, secure, and loved with her. Shona, rather than just keeping her mouth shut, says, "Well, that's what they are with me." Mm-hmm. And Marion says, "Oh, do you bloody think so?" And then proceeds to read out a litany of of events that would suggest that something otherwise is perhaps closer to the truth. Yeah. That since and and yet nobody points out the fact that her son. The dead one was a drug dealer. So maybe they're not exactly safe wherever she's living either. She still makes some good points, though. Because she wasn't a drug dealer. No, but... And I would go further and say that she doesn't look like a drug dealer. Well, what does a drug dealer look like? The opposite of Marion. (laughs) Marion doesn't look like a drug dealer. She looks like a nice real lady who just loves her grandkids and wants the best thing for them. And the best thing for them probably isn't staying, staying with the... Sean and David. Actually, that is the best place for them. Is because it? Because stability. What is wrong with you? Well, because the the mother of the person who killed his mum is marrying David. It's kind of fucked up. Yes, but Shona loves those kids, and those kids love Shona, and Shona is actually really good for them, and it's really good for David. I don't know the There's way that she was shaking Max the other week. Oh, would you stop? I don't know. I've shaken you harder than that. <laughs> and you are quite a bit bigger than a 13-year-old boy. So what's your argument then, Cola? That you've shaken someone bigger than Max, so therefore it's fine to shake a 13-year-old boy. It's like, we're not getting into this. But still, it's 
it's unfair because Shona and David love those kids and Gail loves those kids and Gail will someday come back. I don't know. She says that she isn't looking for perfection. She wants confidence and she's prepared to take this all the way. Back in the prison, the riot is in full swing. Shit is on fire. Chairs are getting flung about. Prisoners are open, openly smoking drugs and running comically across the frame. Somebody has thrown the complete DVD set of How I Met Your Mother That's, onto the screen. That was a trigger. They all got to the end of How Fuck I you, Met Barney. Your Mother. Fuck you, Barney. Fuck you. And said, this is a rubbish ending for a long <coughs> series. Actually, it was just season one. Was it? Oh. Yeah. So they, they have... They have yet to discover, <laughs> to discover how the horrendous monstrosity that is the end of how I met your mother. It's just such a random thing to have been thrown at. It means it's... When I saw it, I was like, oh my god, I hope Gav sees this. I didn't. So I had to tell you. But it means that somebody had it. I think maybe one of the writers or somebody on the show had it. So had it. Please, just take this DVD and fucking away. flag it And then Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant run across the frame and David is in his cell looking at pictures of his family and he says he can't go through with it. He gives the scissors back to Abe. Gav once wanted to do a YouTube series called How I Hate Your Mother. I'm still working on that. (laughs) Gav hates that show. In much the same way as... uh, I can't remember who does it, but someone does uh, Zach Morris's Trash. Yes where they take an episode of Saved by the Bell and just point out all the reasons why Zach Morris, Zach Morris is, is just a horrible, horrible character. Yes. I want to do the same with uh, How I Met Your Mother because every it's, character is just morally reprehensible. And except for, uh, except for what's-his-name's character? Jason Siegel's character. Oh, no, he's awful as well. Is he? Yeah, because the two of them were... They, no, they, they should they, have never gotten together. They start... Him and What's-Her-Face start at the end of the relationship. That's how the series should end, is with them getting... Engaged or getting married or that, right. but the series just kind of shoots itself in the yeah. foot by What's having them together who, at the start. Alison something. Yeah, the one who used the flute on herself in American Pie. I didn't see that. You didn't miss anything. No. So David's trying to sleep through the riot until Abe brings Josh into David's cell. He's all yours oh, now, says Abe. Abe is just Abe. I just called him Gabe. Abe is just really not letting this go. No. What is his? What is his deal? Why is he so invested in? David killing Josh. It makes no sense to me. He passes the scissors back to David again. So these yes. scissors have been passed back and forth. Right, there's fingerprints all over them. Plenty. <clears throat> so David tells Abe to get out. He'll handle this. David closes the door, and now it's just him and Josh and a pair of scissors. Then Max comes home to find Shona asleep on the couch. He wakes her up, and she explains that Marion is still going for custody, and she says it's all up to him now, and he gives Shona a hug, and he says that he just wants to be a family with them again. Aww. Back in the prison, Josh begs to David, telling him that it was all a misunderstanding. He didn't rape no one again, just like that. Last time he didn't rape anyone, and the time before that, when he didn't rape anyone. And that time before that, when he was going to rape someone, but then that person beat him up because he found THC on him. GHB. David loses his temper as Josh once again refuses to admit that he raped David, says that he was tricked into confessing before. Josh knows David won't kill him. He loves his family too much, and if anything happens, everyone will know it was David. Abe shouts on David to hurry up, and David tells Josh that maybe he can't kill him, but he reckons he could watch someone else do it. 
Enter Abe and our new Twitter friend, Tez. <laughs> Hi, Tez. <laughs> Hi, Tez. David and Josh are now fighting in a cell. David demanding that Josh own up to what he did. Abe and Tez have had enough and come into the cell wondering why Josh isn't dead yet. And they continue to beat him up while David picks up the scissors and looks longingly at them. Later, Shona, Max and Marion seem to have come to an understanding in the house. Max promises to visit more often and this is his decision, he says. Marion will always be there for him. And that seems to wrap that up. Because the prisoners drag a bloody Josh up the stairs to kill him in a different cell, but it's a ruse. David doesn't seem to want uh, Josh to die. And they break free. David tells him, kick Taze. And that's what, I want to break that's what Josh does. And they run for it and they barricade themselves I in a supply cupboard or something. And then back at home... It's kind of like that scene in uh, Jurassic Park where they barricade themselves in the kitchen to get away from the velociraptors. But at home, Shun and Max see news of the riot in David's prison. Yeah, somehow somebody has emailed a... V- no, no, oh, this is... No. Okay, never mind. Then Josh wonders why David saved his life, but David says the only reason he stopped him was because killing him would be too easy. He wants Josh to suffer and get beaten up for every day for the rest of his life. And with Abe rattling at the door begging to get in, Josh doesn't look like he's looking forward to this too much. Hmm. So David rolls his eyes at pathetic, snivelling Josh. Josh asks if it would really help if he admitted to what he did, because if so, I've raped you, he said, and he admits to a string of others. David thinks Josh is just trying to be uh, taunted into killing him, and Josh says he intends to keep on raping, and there's nothing that David can do because he's so impotent. And he's going to get out, and he can pay David and wee Max a nice little visit on the outside. David turns and Josh flinches, but we see something that looks kind of like Josh might have stabbed himself somehow, rather than David or anyone else attacking him, because there's no one else in the room. But he's kind of holding this thing by his side. He's holding his hands funny, like he's attempting to do this himself, because I don't know where the scissors are at this point. But then the others burst in. I thought one of them did it. Well, we didn't know. see that. Yeah, we don't really... It but, was all very confusing how, like, all of a sudden Josh turns and starts saying all of these things. Right, because the next we know that David's phone shown on, he says that the riot's over and Josh was put in the prison and he's been stabbed and David needs her to get him a lawyer and quick smart. And then a guard comes into the cell, the police want a word with him and Shona shouts asking if he did it, but she doesn't get an answer. Right. So I'll put up a poll on Twitter this past week asking who people thought stabbed Josh. Was it David? Was it Abe? Was it Josh? Or was it someone else? Tez. <clears throat> I didn't put down Tez as an option. Oh. But uh, the overwhelming majority thought it was Josh who stabbed himself. Hmm. Interesting. 48%. Wow. <clears throat> on Wednesday then, in the morning, Shona listens to a radio report about the prison riot. David has a solicitor. Guess who it is? Oh, it's Imran. Yay! He's been questioned by a policeman. David, that is not Imran. No. He insists his innocence and Imran forces the interview to come to a close because Imran can do that. Yes, because he's a competent lawyer, unlike his partner. <laughs> Shona turns up to see David in prison. David says he didn't do it and there's no evidence. And Shona would understand if he did do it, so she needs to know. And he insists that he's innocent. Back home... Max has somehow managed to get a video of the prison riot on his phone that shows Josh stagger out of his cell and collapse on the ground, followed by David. Somebody messaged him this. It was in his inbox, he said. Who? Who would have done this? This was in my inbox, he says. Who? 
So Marx is now concerned that David really did do it. Mm. And then Imran is pissed at David because he's seen the video that Marx saw. Because everybody's seen this video somehow. David Aye. again protests his innocence. It wasn't him and Imran has to get him out. So Max has invited Marion over. She's got him a PS4 game and he's as thrilled as a dog with two dicks about this. She waits in the car for him but lets everyone know that she's aware of the riot. Shona asks Max not to tell her about David's involvement. Later, when Shona calls David, she lets him know that she knows that he had something to do with Josh's stabbing. She's sick of his lies and she hangs up on him. Bum, bum, bum. See, you did put the Marian, the other Marian bit in. Well yep. done, you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, what did you think of the riot? <laughs> I think it's hilarious that how I met your mother was the beginning <laughs> of the riot. Uh, yeah, it was all right. I saw a lot of people complain that the... Prison riots go. The, uh, the style in which it was shot seemed to be different from regular Coronation Street, but I don't really notice anything different on the brick box it looked kind of the same to me well i think that what they meant was the fact that you know that day there's just those those two storylines that they no that wasn't what they were saying the the style in which it was shot was oh yeah because they used a um i read up on this today um that they made it kind of kind of blurry and they use like a wider lens or something to try to get to try to intensify the the feeling of chaos and stuff going on, right? And everything. I I I didn't mind it. I did I did kind of like the fact that they go back and forth between this scene and the scene that we will talk about later. Yeah, we had some Christmas songs accompanying the. The, the riot, riot, yeah. Which is a nice little juxtaposition, I thought. Yeah, it was a nice touch. It's kind of like when they use, you know, happy music in a in a horror film or something. Right. You know, it just having this music that just doesn't fit the scenes just intensifies everything mm -hmm. as well. I thought it was very artfully done. I'm a little disappointed in the fact that we seem to have cleared up all this Marion threatening to take Max and Harry away stuff. Yeah, that was a, an issue for an entire episode or so, wasn't it? Quite anticlimactically with Max, even though he's been running off and slagging on everyone to Marion, once he realizes that <laughs> there may be consequences to that, then all of a sudden he's like, nope, no, I want to stay here. and Which which makes me think that Marion's house must be rubbish. <laughs> Although she has money for Xbox games. Xbox or PlayStation? PS4. It was oh, a PS4 game. Because I know they've mentioned the Xbox on, on Curry before. So I thought that the Riot... I, I think they're limited in their budget right. and their scope yes. and the number of extras they can get in this. This Riot seemed very underpopulated. <laughs> and they did their best to try and show the same people moving and running all about mm -hmm. to kind of convey a sense of chaos, I, I felt. But yeah. it was... It, it, I don't it, think it kind of landed particularly well for me. I, I thought the um, the, the two people running by the cell door, that kind of snagged and gift was just weirdly out of place. It didn't really belong. Mm. Just characters doing kind of stereotypical things like ripping the bays off a pool table when the only people that's going to 
really affect is the prisoners, right? Because right. <laughs> can't play yeah. pool anymore. So, and they're all just other... like standing around and, and banging on stuff. Yeah, like trying to beat up a guard or anything. Although exactly, guards are running away from people. Like monk, like the monkeys at the start of two thousand and one. I would have preferred to see. I don't know. Either apes, either guards getting beaten up, or or some kind of method for restraining the the prisoners. It, it seemed to, it seemed to start <clears throat> unannounced and it finished unannounced as well. Yeah, it was weird. It's it's not the worst prison riot scene I've ever seen. I can't say I've seen an awful lot. Although saying that, I, I can't remember really. There was a. Was there, there was a, that one in Prison Break, right enough. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. Um, Shawshank, wasn't there a prison riot in Shawshank? I don't recall. Yeah. Or um, Andy got beat up quite an awful lot, but that wasn't really a riot. No. What, oh, Green Mile. It's even less likely to happen. That was in there. That's in the death row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... It's fascinating to listen to us think about things that we haven't seen. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like it, 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 the things that it missed, I don't expect it to be able to fill in, which no. is the, the, the population and the volume of people and the... And a kind of better sense of chaos. I didn't really get a sense of chaos. I, I got a little bit of a flame in a cell somewhere. I got bays ripped off a uh, pool table. I got How I Met Your Mother, season <laughs> one DVD, disregarded with gay abandon. And I got and like I got Josh paper. beaten up, I guess. Right. Yeah. It was like, I mean, who even had that DVD? <laughs> season one of How I Met Your Mother. In the rec room. Yeah, but... The rec room is downstairs, isn't it? Not upstairs. So somebody went downstairs and picked up like DVDs in the rec room and then brought them up and then threw them down on the netting. Maybe Josh had it in his cell. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> and, and and let's be fair. Let's be fair. The, the money and the emphasis and the focus and the quality for this week was all put into the other storyline of this week. And I think that's a problem in itself. Right. That that it would be, which is something that we kind of complained about, have complained about in the past is, is that sometimes you get all of these really intense storylines that really deserve to be the focus of the whole week giving getting getting short shrift because they have to share it with other really emotional intense storylines and maybe we need to not do that quite so much and just have like boring tidbits thrown here and there or something goofy but not as goofy as Gemma getting stuck in a turnstile I would have kind of killed for Gemma stuck in a turnstile this week <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was really bothered by the fact that all of the times we see Chesney this week, Gemma's not with him. And all of the times we see Tracy this week, Steve isn't with her. Right. It's like the two people who have the best comedic timing on the whole show are missing. <laughs> Although Tracy was funny okay. in, a, in a few bits this week. So, so. we're about to talk about 
our final storyline for tonight. Yes. Last Christmas. But I hate that song. What it basically was for half an hour on Thursday and the full hour on Friday, although with commercial breaks and whatever, mm-hmm. you take that out and it's it's about an hour worth of TV. Right. Where this was the only story in town. This right. is the only thing that we're talking about. Yep. I think that they did a really good job. They got the emotion. I was in tears, mostly on Thursday and and today just, I think they they hit so close to home and they hit so many emotional buttons for me. It was kind of scary how close, how scary they, it was scary how close they got to, to personal experience. Yes. Very much so. I don't think there was an hour worth of story there. I think it became a little bit repetitive. But anyway. <gasps> I, I, I think they did. I think they did fine. I think, I think if. Thir- I think there's an aspect of the story that you really, 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 really hate. And lots of people really, 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 really oh, I do. hate. But that notwithstanding, I think if. We that didn't, I think if we didn't get that, bit of a filler. If we didn't get that extra 30 minutes on Thursday, I don't think it would have mattered that much. I don't know. Let's I go through it, shall we? Thursday was my one of my favourite bits. On Monday, my main question throughout the storyline up until today is, where's Sinead's mum? Yeah. It, it seems to me that Beth did most of the raising of Sinead. Throughout most of Sinead's life. I don't know if that's true. Because Sinead tells her that she was a great mum. She does. Well, she'd maybe got her fingers crossed. Anyway. <laughs> Craig, Tracy, Ken and Beth are getting into the Christmas spirit by taking one line each of Slade's Merry Christmas, everyone, as they make preparations and Peanut contemplates suicide. <laughs> that poor Doug. <laughs> that Doug. And look at that Doug's face, like, just... Get me out of this thing. Stick me in the oven. I'm done. <laughs> and then Kirk stresses Santa and he's hooking up a snow machine outside. Yes, he is. And the home help is taking care of Sinead's meds. There's no reason she should be in pain and she asks about the hospice option again and Daniel bursts in to say that they're handling everything. Fine, thank you very much. And then heads out to get some milk. And he's no sooner gone than Sinead has a very strong pain in her tummy. Outside, Daniel is pissed to see that Kirk has covered the pavement in fake snow, saying that Sinead's too weak to handle this, even though Beth insists that she doesn't actually have to do anything. Christmas is going to be brought to Sinead. This makes no difference to Daniel, and he orders Kirk to turn off that fucking snow machine. He's such an asshole. Then the home help hears the commotion outside and looks out the window and says to Sinead, have you seen the weather? And Sinead doesn't know what she's talking about, so the home help beckons Sinead over, and she looks outside and is thrilled to see what's going on down on the street. She comes downstairs and outside to talk to everyone. This is the last time she's outside. Yes. Oofed. Yeesh. Ken and Tracy arrive with the food and uh, Kirk tells them that Christmas has been cancelled thanks to Daniel. Being but, a dick. But Sinead overrules Daniel, saying that Christmas no, isn't cancelled no. after all. She thinks this is a brilliant idea. And so, it is. So Beth is in the rovers explaining to Bethany and Audrey about how serious the situation is with Sinead. She doesn't have all that much time left. And she asks Bethany to go over and do Sinead's makeup and... Hair. Oh, that sort of stuff. Yes. Audrey... Audrey was volunteering and and Beth lets her down. Not so gently. Quite gently. Well, gently for Beth. 
no, I think somebody younger should do this, she basically says. Right. So Bethany says that this is this is the least that she can do, and Audrey advises her to call Canny. And Bethany's about to start on Sinead, who's already looking exhausted and pale. But Danny comes in and is worried, but Sinead insists that she gets what she wants, and she wants Christmas. And later the family are sitting round the table listening to Christmas music while Daniel carves a very cold-looking turkey. <laughs> Sinead invites Bethany to stay, but she makes her excuses. She's looking after Harry or whatever, and she has to leave. But not before she and Daniel share a longing look. Well, and I... It hated this. It wasn't really a longing look, was yeah, it? it was. was. I think, especially on Daniel's side, it was kind of a awkward look. But for Bethany, yes, longing. Daniel's been a dick and goes to throw everyone out before pudding, telling everyone that Sinead is too tired for this. She tells everyone to stay and for Daniel to wind his fucking neck and she calls him a bully for... Finally! She calls him a bully for cancelling Christmas. He asks her if she's taken a look at herself lately, and she says that she's well aware of how she looks, thank you very much, but she isn't yeah, ready Dick. to be confined to bed just yet. Seriously. Yeah, this is... You, you let the dying person have as much fun and as much enjoyment with as many people as they possibly can before the end. You don't try to shove them in, a, in the bedroom... And keep them all to yourself. And make decisions for them. They're already dying. They already don't have control over death. Let them have control over the little bit of life they have left. Shouldn't even seem to be that. Well, comparatively. She was exhausted the entire day, but... Right. Not particularly that moment. She was able to get downstairs by herself, which is still kind of amazing. So they continue to argue while people shift uncomfortably in their seats. Okay, now it's Christmas. <laughs> Haven't you thought how hard this is on me, asks Daniel, and Sinead promises to keep her terminal illness to herself next time. She accuses him of making this about him and trying to ruin her day with her loved ones, and he offers to leave, and she tells him not to let the door hit his arse on the way out. He's not needed, thank you very much, and he didn't bother coming back. So he leaves. Oh, look at his face, which is like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Like he expects her to say, no, no, I want you to stay. But she doesn't. Because he's a dick. Yeah, he was kind of walking into that. He really was. I loved it. Claudia and Adam show up at the fake Christmas party and Tracy reckons this is like any other Christmas. Thank you very much. Beth thinks Daniel should get over himself and Adam reckons Daniel isn't himself. Sinead has calmed and realises this is all about her dying at home. This is what she wanted though. She wanted Kirk to break the snow machine and Tracy to say horrible things. Ken offers I to go. I love that. Right, and Tracy's like, what? <laughs> Me? Horrible? That was great. Ken offers to go get Daniel, but Sinead advises to let him cool it off and come back and apologise in his own good time. But Daniel isn't ready for doing that, and instead he's really outside, not. he's crying against the wall, and he claims to have punched it because he's got, oh, his knuckles are all bloodied. Yes. I'm not buying it. And of course, Bethany comes along to offer comfort, but Daniel doesn't want to talk about it, and he doesn't want to be told that everything's fine. He doesn't want to be told that he's a good guy, and he storms off. And she won't leave it alone. (laughs) No. So she follows him into a wee bit of a shelter in the gunnel, and Daniel realises what he's done is wrong, and he feels uh, bad for even talking to Bethany. She tries to comfort him again, telling him that she knows there are no right things to say, but he has to let people try to say them to him, no matter what. She thinks his help with her article made her feel less of a victim and he cries on her shoulder. He doesn't want people to be nice to him. And then they smooch. 
which is initiated by him. Yeah, it is. And Ken sees it. Oh, and, God, and, they look like Ken's face. <laughs> and Ken wants to know how long this has been going on. Bethany says it wasn't how it looked. Oh, but no. Daniel says actually it was. He tries to rationalise it, saying he just wanted to feel something. But Ken isn't putting up with this bullshit and barks at Daniel to get his sorry fucking arse home. Oh, Bethany. So Daniel comes home and apologises, and Sinead is sorry too, and asks him to come sit with her. She tells him that she loves him, and he loves her too, but Daniel looks like someone is about to cut off his nuts with a pair of rusty scissors as they bring their Christmas festivities to an end. And they're all watching a Christmas movie, and you see everybody's eyes on the TV. Everybody's watching intently whatever movie it is that they're watching. Well, no, they're not. The only people that are watching is Craig. Everyone else seems to be kind of caught up in their own... Well, they're all kind of watching. And then you pan to Tracy, who's on her phone, <laughs> scrolling. <laughs> That's totally bored. Ah, oh, I, lived, I, I lived for little bits like that this week that just were such a relief. It's such an intense storyline. So well done, Tracy. Well done. On Wednesday, then. Audrey pops around to see Bethany and sees that she's upset. Bethany seems to have lost her notebook and after pressing, she admits that she fancies Daniel and that she kissed him. Audrey's not very happy about this. No, she calls her a stupid girl. She is helped to her chair by Daniel. She wants to listen to the sounds of the street. She suspects that something is wrong with him and she apologises for the row yesterday. She writes that he won't be able to cope. She doesn't look like she's about to start reading any long books anytime soon or eating any green bananas. And she thinks that she'd be better off in hospice. Yes. Then the home help comes in and Daniel goes out to see Ken. Bethany says Daniel kissed her first. This is to Audrey. But Uh she kissed him back and she enjoyed it. And she feels terrible for loving him. Because she loves him now. (sighs) Okay. She's 19. And Daniel is round at number one and is pleading his innocence to Ken. He's not buying it and reminds him that Sinead is dying. He says he knows that and is feeling helpless. Daniel says it felt good having someone say he was doing the right thing. He knows he did the wrong thing and needs to tell her the truth and Ken is appalled at this idea. He tells him to put it behind him and concentrate on his wife. He says Sinead isn't fit enough to deal with this. He imagines that he feels bad but that's the burden and he has no right to pass it on to Sinead. What do you think about that? I think he's right. I think he's right as well. I think Sinead dying not knowing this would have been fine. This yeah. is This is the... This is the price that Daniel pays for doing this. Right. As a guilt for the rest of his life. Absolutely. Knowing that she didn't know. Right. So at home, Sinead has chosen to move into a hospice. Beth seems crushed by this. It seems so final. And it is, says Sinead. And then she asks Beth to find her notebook. And then Beth passes her a book. But it's not Sinead's. It's someone else's. I was confused by this. Yeah. You really... You were confused. I was yelling at my iPad saying, why on earth did Bethany bring this with her? So she must have done that the previous day when she was doing the makeup and stuff? Right, yeah. She must have had it with her the previous day and just left it, which doesn't make any sense. Why would she have brought it with her to go do makeup? Did she have how to do makeup in her notebook? No. This is how Bethany does makeup. One, apply makeup. Two... (laughs) Um, it's it, it's a dumb. little it's a little bit more complicated than that, but still, there's no reason why she would have brought that notebook, except for plot. As soon as Bethany so said upset. to James a couple of weeks ago, right? It's fine. No one's going to read this story. We knew at that point. 
Somebody Sinead is absolutely going to read this story somehow. This is how we made it work. And work is in inverted commas there. Mm-hmm. So Daniel is back home and Sinead is sleepy. He wakes her up. Beth is gone. Sinead shows Daniel Bethany's notebook. Sinead has read one of her stories. It was quite good, she says. It's about her, Daniel and Sinead. You mean Bethany? Oh, well, well it's Bethany's oh, notebooks. Okay. Yeah. Daniel thinks people write about what they know. The situation is real, but the love is made up. He's sure of it. And Sinead reveals that she confronted Bethany about this before. Maybe she should do it again. She knows Daniel is lying. What's going on between them? And Daniel is shocked that Bethany, that, that Sinead... Has been able to put two and two together. Before, yeah, well before now. Right. It's like, you did win. It's like, you stupid person. Prick. Yeah. Daniel insists it's nothing. Sinead asks if he wants her to go to her grave like this, and he admits that they kissed. Sinead tells him to get Bertie and get out of there. Get out! And later Daniel tries to apologise, claims that he used to hurt himself to feel something, because he's trying to get all nine-inch nails on her. Right. But Sinead isn't having any of it. She throws him out, and then Craig comes in, and when he finds out what's happened, he goes fucking mental, and really chucks Daniel out. Beth happens along and tries to help, but then he confesses to her, and she beats him up. <laughs> with carrots. <laughs> she beats him up with carrots. <laughs> in the, the flat. Sinead isn't looking that great, and Beth wants to phone an ambulance, but Sinead doesn't want to die in the hospital anymore, and they settle on speaking to Dr. Gadas instead. Yes. Who's quite fabulous. Yes, she is. In Bethany's flat, Audrey advises her to go out there and put on a brave face. After all, Sinead doesn't know, says Audrey. N- nobody knows. And Dr. Gadas has come round. She suggests that Sinead get some soup. Sinead just wants it to be over. And Beth brings in Bertie. And Dr. Gadas insists that Sinead is deeply loved, regardless of what's happened with Daniel. And then Peter and Carla come home. Yay! <laughs> You're not excited to see Peter and Carla? Aye. Finally back from... Who was it? it Venice? Venice. Venice, Italy. I kind of thought we were going to start a wee Peter and Carla story here, but it never happened. They were just kind of in the background of... I know. I know you people love this couple. I do not. Then Craig has a go at Bethany in the street. He doesn't know who Bethany is anymore. And Bethany cleverly works out that maybe Sinead now knows. I really, I really liked that because, as we know, Bethany and and Craig have been quite close. Pretty tight, yep. Craig helped her through an awful lot and there was a time when we thought that the two of them were going to get together. That never really happened. Do you think Craig's going to come out on the show? Do you think Craig's going to turn out gay? No. No, I don't think so. Hmm. Oh, he's quite clearly got the hots for Bethany. Oh. Anyway, you know, the intensity of that, of of him yelling and screaming at her in the street. Because here's why he's not going to come out. Because if he comes out, who's he going to get hooked up with? James. Oh, that's just Remember, awful. they're going to be, they're going going to be jogging buddies now. Jogging buddies is all they're going to be. That's it. You think? Yes. So Daniel's got pissed in the ginnel and Imran and Adam find him and Adam yes, doesn't... Yes, because he stole Beth's vodka. Beth put down a bottle of vodka, Daniel nicked it, <laughs> and we're supposed to believe that Beth didn't notice this. Well, because Beth is focused on Sinead now. She left all of her groceries outside in the street. Adam does his best to make Daniel feel better, but Daniel's determined to punish himself. And later in the street, Tracy shouts to Sarah about Bethany being such a cow. 
Well done, Tracy. You know, and I'm loving Tracy at the moment. And, and, and while, and while the the did that did give me a chuckle. I kind of hate that the show is putting all of the onus on poor Bethany about this. That everybody on the show is vilifying her and saying, "Oh, how awful she is for kissing Daniel." What is Daniel who kissed first? She tracked him down, though. She could have stayed away. She, she could have, but still, the fact that it's supposedly all Bethany's fault, and Bethany seduced Daniel in his hour of weakness, it, it's kind of off-putting. As much as I hate this aspect of the whole story, I think it gives us an idea of how Bethany's going to go out of it. Given that we know that Bethany's leaving. Yeah. I was wondering, well, how is she going to leave? Well, she's not well, leaving until next year. She's getting chased out. The, she's getting chased out the street. You think she'll still have the scarlet letter on her next year? <laughs> Absolutely. She leaves. A big B or for, D for bitch or S. No, for Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam turns up at number one to tell them all that Daniel is drunk and self-destructive, and Beth lies with Sinead and strokes her hair. And Kirk bores Bertie with a story about the kennels. And Daniel is pissed out of his tits on Beth's vodka. Kirk and passes the out on the side of the, the canal. Thing. What, was this, what was this story about? <laughs> I can't remember, but I was like, does this baby even care about your story, Kirk? He's just telling him a story like they're mates. Sitting in a pub and he's just telling him a story about his day. And it's like, you see the look of that poor wee baby's face like, are you what fucking killing me? What is going on here? <laughs> but th- it was adorable. On Thursday, not content with telling Bertie's stories, Kirk is now singing at the Pure Wee Thing. And that was nice. It Beth was cute. checks in on Sinead, who's wondering where Daniel has got to. At number one, Tracy has made tea, and Carla comes in, and there's no news as to Daniel's whereabouts. Now at the canal, Daniel's still passed out, and a dog walker tries to wake him up, but to no avail. Sinead isn't looking the best as Beth mops her brow and she hopes Daniel is face down in a ditch. And she doesn't realise how, how, how close she is to the truth. But Bertie still needs a daddy and Beth doesn't think he's deserving of this. Sinead needs to do some things for Bertie and she asks Beth to charge the laptop. What? <sighs> I'm laughing at my Boris Johnson joke. That was a joke? <laughs> Okay. Anyway. Yes, yeah, so and Beth says that, that that Kirk would make a better stand in for a dad. The, the entire street goes. Anyway. <laughs> and then there is this scene where Sinead records a long message for Bertie. Oh. She's going to record lots of videos for his birthdays and stuff. She apologises for not being around for him for all these milestones. And this is a really, really long scene just to have one person talking right, to and nobody. A, and a single and a single shot. I don't think although, it was a single shot. I think there was a couple of breaks in it, but not many. Right. And it goes back and forth between watching her record and the recording itself. Right. And that was quite good. I liked that. Yeah, it was done exceptionally well. It's quite heartbreaking. And she promises to be there for him in spirit. She'll be in the sun and the fire and in the sound of rain. Oofed. She tells him to be kind and to respect everyone, except idiots. Never pretend. Nice can change the world, she says. She tells Bertie that the best things that happened to her was him and Daniel. 
And this was an eight minute scene. And it was great. And then Tracy arrives to see Sinead. So this was eight minutes of one essentially a monologue to a a webcam. Yeah. It was great. Oofed. You know another scene was great that I really liked? Go on. You, you know, in um that the the opening with the rain. Oh, and she sticks her hand out. And she sticks her hand out to feel the rain. Oh right. god. You know, yeah, I don't know why I didn't mention that because that was pretty, pretty ufty. You know, and like the scene before that where she's sitting there and she's asking Daniel to open the window, and he's like, "But you'll be cold," and it's like, she's dying. Do what she tells you to do. Because she gave him a hard time. What was it on Monday about the fucking uh, scented candles? Oh yeah, she's sick of the house stinking the scented candles. Right, and she wants to feel the air and everything. And then he opens it, but he doesn't open the shades, and it's like. She wants to look outside, too. Why didn't you open the shades, you fanny? But it was just... Ugh. It meant so much. It was so beautiful. So many... There were so many just... Little bits that were so... Poignant and gorgeous and didn't really need a lot of dialogue. Didn't really need a lot to make them memorable. And it was just, it was very well done. I liked it. This is where I kind of start to feel a little uh, empathy for Daniel. Not so much in the the Bethany thing. I don't empathise at all with that. But the whole thinking that you're doing the right thing when you're not doing the right thing at all. On the day my mother died, she woke up and said, well, what shall we do today? And it took everything in my power to tell her or to not tell her I don't think we'll be doing anything today and just keep my mouth shut Mm -hmm. because the natural reaction is to to be a realist about it yes where the the right thing to do the the the, the non-realist would be just maybe we'll go and get some ice cream mum maybe we'll go do that yeah something like that but it was just so hard to see it from that kind of... In fact, it was painful to see it from that other perspective. It was right. painful to see it from a perspective that was going to be impossible. So I kind of I understand why he thinks he's doing the right thing by doing what would be the right thing if she had the cold. Right. But yeah. she doesn't have a cold. <laughs> and the, the sensible, pragmatic thing to do in this situation just shouldn't be something that you want to do. But it's really hard not to think in those terms in that situation. Well, you know, to be fair, if your mom asked you to open a window that day, you would have opened the oh, window. Oh, just opened the window, yeah. Without sure. telling her that she'd get cold. Right. But, I mean, you're right. There is... It is not easy talking to our loved ones when we know they're going to die soon. No, when you know that this might be the last time that they wake up. Or it may be the last time you ever see them. Right. Yeah, it's difficult. It's very difficult. So you just do what you think is right. And maybe it isn't. And maybe you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Yep. Maybe I do. Maybe we all do. Ugh. So they found Daniel. He's alive, but he's went off the rails. Beth doesn't think this is Sinead's problem. And Tracy insists that Daniel loves her, but Sinead needs to get on with her videos. Tracy's worried that Daniel is on a mission to self-destruct 
Back at number one, Daniel is being comforted by his family. Tracy tells him to have a fucking wash and go get ready. Good on you, Tracy. And Sinead needs to see him. So he goes round. She's not interested in his story. He tells her she can't hate him more than he hates himself. She tells him to shut his fucking mouth, do the dying girl a favour, she says. She doesn't care how he feels. She has to die knowing what he did. She needs to know Bertie's in safe hands, and he says that Bertie is. Then outside, Chesney is about to buzz the flat, but he can't bring himself to push the button. And he apologises to himself, and he walks away. And it's probably a good idea that... Chesney. You don't really... No place in that room, Chesney. (laughs) Given how... I mean, it's heartbreaking (laughs) that he doesn't really get a chance to say goodbye to her. But at that moment... Yeah, he had no place there. Yeah. Back in the room, Daniel wants to slow these moments down, but everything is in fast forward now. She tells him he's ruined her death. They can't play this out normally. She can't throw him out. She can't call him a shit. Slag him off. Unfriend him on Facebook. He can't bombard her with apologetic texts. And she can't crack and let him back in because she still loves him. The worst thing is she has to forgive him. So she does. But not for him. For Bertie. So she can die with peace. And he has to forgive himself. She loves him still, and she tells him about the first time they met. It was like she was coming home, and he will always be her home. What? Oh, Sinead has been given some of the best lines of dialogue she's ever been given in the final couple of I uh, really wish couple that of they hadn't that she's got. wasted her for so long on the show. When she tells him that he's ruined her death. Yes. Just blew me away. And she's absolutely right. Because this should play out in a preset order of events that they both know would would be happening. They'd be angry and they'd they'd get over it and eventually they'd get back together again. But maybe it would take a couple of months. And it can't happen like that. No. So she's got to forgive him. So fuck you, Daniel. You're forgiven, basically. Yeah. (laughs) On to Friday then. Oh. This is a cheery bit. Oh no, this is where it gets much, much worse. On Friday, Daniel is making his... Uh, <laughs> this was quite a funny little recurring little gag. Where the home help can't make a cup of tea. Right. So Daniel's making the cup of tea uh, because the home help has shited it. He tells the home help that uh, Sinead pissed the bed last night and she's kind of embarrassed by it. And Sinead is looking like she might be 44 minutes away from meeting her maker. She wakes and tries to get up, but she can't, and Beth and Kirk have Bertie. The home help will be back tonight and tells Daniel that he's doing a great job. She tells him not to punish himself, and she wants a big bunch of flowers so she can pretend that she's outside. So off he goes to get that. Yeah. And then she falls asleep. And they do this kind of thing through quite a lot of the, the scenes where she... Out. Yeah, it's a kind of... The focus just kind of drifts and then and comes really back a little bit I really liked that as well, the way, you know, she fades out and then she fades back in and there's... There's new people there and everything, and right. how I thought they were going to do something to towards the end. They didn't. They didn't do it towards the end. Lapse the time and stuff. And so later, Sinead wakes up to Kirk and Beth and Bertie. Beth clearly isn't impressed with Daniel, but Sinead says that she had to forgive him, and that's what she did. What happened came out of grief and stress. He made one mistake in three years, and she won't allow that to matter now. And tired, Sinead goes back off to sleep. And when she wakes up this time, it's the flowers and she's in a lot of pain. And Daniel comes in with the morphine. 
Beth thinks that she should be in the hospice and goes off to get Dr. Gadas. Meanwhile, Daniel helps Sinead breathe through the pain and then she drifts back off again. The next time she wakes up, it's just her and Daniel. He explains that Beth is off to get Gadas and he asks if she wants to be in the hospice. She doesn't know anymore. And then Billy shows up. Hey. And Sinead... Sinead requested for Billy to show up. Thrilled to see him. She asks Daniel to give them ten minutes. She gives Billy an envelope with her funeral requirements because she doesn't think that Daniel's going to be in any fit state to follow them. And Billy Nor promises, Beth. no, and Billy promises that he will follow them to the letter. I wonder if there's going to be a little surprise in there that's going to come back to bite Billy on the arse. We'll see. <laughs> it seems that Sinead has been uh, listening to podcasts about death and doing some reading up on it. She's not scared of dying, but she's scared of leaving. They talk about Pascal's wager and what the afterlife might be like. Billy has his theories that don't involve clouds or harps. He thinks we become one with God, but if it isn't, then there's a peace in nothing. Maybe the good people get the darkness and the sinners get the afterlife. And at that, Sinead drifts away again. Yeah, and it, I really liked that scene as well. And she's right, because I remember when, when I got my cancer diagnosis, you know, and started to think about things like this. Right. That's that's how I felt. It was like, you know, I'm not necessarily afraid of dying. I'm afraid of leaving you and the kids. Right. That's That was my reason to get better and and everything and to do whatever it took to do that. So I, I, I really liked um, that. And I liked, I liked the way that Billy talked about about it saying well we don't we don't really know what heaven's going to be like because nobody's come back to tell us and and stuff and talking about different theories and and everything and i thought that was a a, a very lovely scene and it's a scene that would happen yeah it did know? a good job i thought and it was nice to see billy actually being a vicar yeah doing his job yeah right we don't often get to see Billy actually doing his job. If his job was to give her comfort, he certainly did that. Yes. And to do the funeral arrangements. So Gadas is there now and tries to uh, wake Sinead up. Then she seems to see something that she doesn't like. She thinks that Sinead is very weak and too fragile to move. And this kind of takes Daniel's breath away a little bit. Uh, Daniel thinks Sinead is way off dying and Gadas gives him a look. Yeah. As if to say, really? Do you really think so? Sinead wakes up and doesn't want to go to the hospice. She wants to spend her last hours here with him and Bertie. And Daniel, for being smart, is really confused. These aren't your last hours, he says. And Sinead says, yeah, maybe give him a call. Outside, Gallus tells Beth that it's about time. Bethany is there and asks how things are, and immediately she's Why? pounced on by Tracy and Sally. Why would she? What Why, you- Bethany? Just lay low. What do you care, bitch? Tracy says and tells everyone and tells Bethany that everyone blames her. Then Gail arrives back in a taxi. Why are you shouting at my grandchild? She says. Yes. Back at number eight, Gail's got Bethany round and uh, she pretends that she doesn't understand why people hate Bethany. She says the universe threw her and Daniel together. She says she's been on the journey herself and <laughs> Bethany looks at her as if to say... What the fuck have you done with my gran? She's suddenly all spiritual and shit. She's very zen. Mm-hmm. Finally, Sinead's mum and gran have arrived and want uh, 
and they've brought some ginger nuts, which Beth says that Sinead can't possibly eat at the moment. Plus, those aren't her favourites. Right. Beth and Craig are there, and Sinead says that she's fine, but she's tired. She asks Craig to help her sit up. The Gran offers to brush her hair to make her feel better, and they all reminisce about when Craig and Sinead were kids. Her mum seems to have quite a lot of false memories and apologises for being a rubbish mum, but Beth reveals uh, that she gave Sinead double pocket money just to make up for the fact that Sinead's mum was struggling, I guess, or something. Well, yeah, so she was getting... Sinead was playing them both and getting pocket money oh, right, from okay. both of them. And then she drifts off again. And she wakes up... And that was a really lovely scene, too. Oh. I liked the family, the family aspect and reminiscing and everything. Because usually... Usually it's the grandmother in the bed right. and the granddaughter brushing the hair oh, and everybody yeah, yeah. reminiscing about Good spot. the grandmother mm-hmm. and everything. But here is this grandmother who, let's remember, we've, we've never really seen in a serious scene before. You know, she and the mom are typically used as comic relief right? more than anything. And it's such a such a lovely scene and i really i really liked it i kind of hated this next bit where she wakes up uh Sinead wakes up and she's in some breathing distress and that totally reminded me of my mum daniel insisted it's fine uh this is just she's so relaxed that she can't cough out the uh, saliva, saliva and stuff in her uh, windpipe uh, and says trust me but beth doesn't trust them then Sinead wakes and asks everyone to leave Daniel welcomes them back in the morning. She says, just come round and you can see her then. And they all say their goodbyes. I think knowing that there won't be a tomorrow morning. Craig just leaves though. <laughs> Sinead <laughs> wants Bertie. He, he does. He waits for his mum. He doesn't go over and kiss her though. Or say bye. Just yeah, leaves. that's kind of weird. It's kind of like when he told when Max spilled his guts to him and he's like, right then, right then. I'm off. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good story, right? See you later. <laughs> Sinead says that she wants Bertie. Daniel offers her some more morphine, but she doesn't want any because she's scared that she'll never wake up from it and she's not quite ready to go yet. So Daniel and Bertie are lying next to Sinead. She's happy that she managed to do something important in her life, presumably Bertie. And Daniel tells her that he'll miss her and she worries that Bertie won't remember her. She'll just be the chick on the video. And he promises Bertie will remember. Sinead's glad he won't remember her being ill, though. But she doesn't want him to blame Bertie for living when she didn't, and he promises to do so. And yet she's visibly ill in all of those videos. She should have right. probably started recording them sooner. It's <laughs> always tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. She tells him that he needs to get his act together and learn how to bathe Bertie, which is something that Daniel's never been able to do before because he's scared it'll mess it up and drown the kid or whatever. And back at number one, Ken's reminiscing about Deirdre's passing and Alma's. Carla remembers Haley and Tracy wishes that she got to say goodbye to her mum. On balance, Ken thinks it was for the best. Peter wants to die from a heart attack. And Carl thinks Aidan's death was long <laughs> and drawn out. Adam remembers his dad being the same. Funny thing, death, says Ken. We talk about birth, we don't talk about death. Oh, for fuck's sake, Ken. <clears throat> right, and he, and he talks about, and this, is, and this is true, that the way that we handle death now... Is very different than the way that we used yeah. to, as societies, deal with it, where it was in the home and it was... You're confronted by it every you're day. You're confronted mm. by it, right. And now we kind of hide it away in hospitals and stuff. And Tracy says, well, that's real cheery of you, Dad. <laughs> and they all laugh. And then stop laughing. 
Then back in the flat, Sinead tells him not to spend his life mourning her and to find someone else. But don't forget her, but do forget about her. She feels that she's aged 60 weeks and she feels that and she's aged... And they have aged, a laugh about oxymorons. She feels that she's aged 60 years and 6 weeks. She didn't get to live those years or do her bucket list apart from that picnic. They lie and chat about the kids they never had and as it goes on it becomes clear that Sinead only has a few moments left. And Daniel says he wants a parrot. Daniel talks about parrots. She tells him that she's about to die and kisses his hand. Soon she says, and then he begs her not to go as Bertie starts to cry. Sinead tells him to read Bertie a story to send him off to sleep. And number one have all moved into the pub, the Barlows and Tinkers and Billy, who never misses a trick. They all show up. And they continue to reminisce about Sinead and how she dances. And Sean does a decent impression of her. And Chesney's in bits. And back in the flat, Daniel's in the corner reading that bear hunt story to Bertie. And Sinead listens on <clears throat> and then passes away with Daniel and Bertie sitting in the corner. Then Daniel realises what's happened. And he puts Bertie in his crib and tries not to look at his dead wife. Eventually goes over to the bed, kisses her on the pow, and then breaks down. And later the family are all in the room, and Ken says they need to call the doctor, and Daniel hears memories of their last moments. And Gaddis is there and confirms the death, and Billy is sorry and offers a prayer, but Daniel can't stay there to hear it. Billy's prayer thanks God for her life and her peaceful passing and for her love. And outside the heavens have opened, and everyone is rocked by the news. And Kirk and Chesney stare into space. Daniel walks off with Bertie. Bethany watches the body being carried out from her living room window where she's confronted by Gail. And as the prayer ends with Daniel back home with his son to an empty flat and to an empty bed, bath time, says Daniel. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Oofed. Yeah. It's done. It's done. Yeah, it was quite, quite incredible. Such a roller coaster. Even just talking about it was like setting me off. No, me <laughs> too. Me, me, me too. I. Twenty-five. I know she's a fictional character, but this happens to people all the time. You right. Know, like no, people that's, don't, people, and that's exactly it. People get twenty-five years on this planet. They get twenty-five summers, and sometimes that's all they're supposed to get. And sometimes they get even less. Right. You know, child, cancer. Is a thing that then. Oh, we had kids in my primary school that didn't make it to essentially the equivalent of third grade. Right. Like, How'd you deal with that? I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I was in in bits all week. The kid with a mystery rash. I, I, I honestly, my hats off to parents who have to deal with with much worse. On a daily basis, right. I don't know how they survive, and I, I really don't. And uh, just you know, when her mum kisses her goodbye, and you know, has has apologized for being a rubbish mum, and then and then you know, when Beth is the last one to leave the room, and Sinead says, "I love you, Auntie Beth," and Beth Oof. has been, you know, just as much, if not more, of a mother to her as her own actual mother has been. It's just right. Oh. Yeah, Beth's been oh, just quite incredible these past few weeks, I think. Her, Absolutely. Her character and the way that she's oh, she's just shown real uh, emotion and real depth. guts and, and absolutely and depth and how she's coping with this and putting on a brave face and and, you know, Kirk's there trying to 
be there for her because nobody's there for her and somebody needs to be there for her because she's there for Sinead and all right. that sort of stuff. It was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is really covering the whole gambit of, of different emotional reactions to this situation where this young woman's going to be gone and um, the, the hole that that leaves behind is, is, is more noticeable because she's so young compared to, like, if an older member of the cast had been in this position. I think it feels like it probably does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Because there's potential that's lost. Yes, absolutely. I thought it'll be interesting to see how this death affects the other characters moving forward. I am going to be very, very angry if Daniel just decides to climb into a bottle here. Because that's a typical reaction. And he's kind of shown a couple of times that he's more than capable of doing that. With Peter there, yeah. you think that would be enough of a... There's, there's, there's plenty of alcoholism of, in that family. Right, that sways of influence. So, I don't know. Any other thoughts about that? No. Just glad Tim's fucking dad wasn't in it. Oh, God. <laughs> the, yeah, I, I, I almost don't want to watch next week because I don't want to go back to some of the other storylines that I that are coming that yeah, I just I know I just feel a sense of relief that we've got through this that uh, I wasn't looking forward to this week one little bit no <laughs> I feel quite proud of myself that, that you got through, got through it and then you got through talking about it right you know more or less yeah we've both broken down a wee bit <laughs> recording this and it's not been easy no it's a a subject that's close to well i think everybody has yeah some kind of you know there's parts of their own life that they're watching play out here i mean i I don't think for a moment that that we are anything special and that we have something that we can we can link to it but i don't know that doesn't mean it's any less or easier to deal with it's just maybe stings a little bit a little bit more or a little bit less, depending on who you are. I don't know. Yes. Moment of the week. Uh, Sinead recording the videos. Yeah, that was just incredible. Yeah. And I mean, do you know? I, I feel like we've given it to this, Katie McGlynn a, a couple of times recently, but but fuck you know it. what? This is the last time we're going <laughs> to be able to give it to it, her. So, so we're giving it to her, yep. and there'll still be plenty of other people to give it to. Right. Next week. So recording the little videos for for Bertie on the laptop. That's it. Moment, moment of the week. week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Well, it's got to be the riot, hasn't it? Or something to do with the riot. Uh, Marion giving Max the PlayStation game. Mm-hmm. Just the conversation where she's trying she's trying desperately hard to be a cool grandma. Just that dialogue was kind of boring. It had a purpose, I guess. It's something to do with that. I don't know if it's that in particular, but yeah, that was, whatever. That was the most boring part for me. The thing that bored me about the whole thing was it was over so quickly. Yeah. So here we are, we're thinking that this is going to be a new thread that's going to be weaving its way through a few weeks or whatever, and then it just kind of came and it went without much of a fanfare either way. Right. Oh, the whole Max Marion thing, that's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. That'll do. Yeah. 
9.42 in the PM. Shall we wrap this up, my dear? Wow, that late. I got through this fairly quickly. Well, the, the notes, The notes that were taken, even though there was an extra episode, was two-thirds of a normal right, count. Right, because it was only two storylines. But it was still on for half an hour more than it usually is. Right, but you don't have like this, uh, as much space, as much white space as you typically do in your notes. I just think I took shorter notes. Maybe that too. If you've been affected by this podcast, you can congratulate <laughs> and reprimand in equal measure through the following means. We'll talk at gmail.com for email, for any Skype voicemail, and on PayPal if you want to throw a couple of bucks in our virtual tip jar. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please take a moment, please take a moment to rate and review on the iTunes. Please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.